you know, rock songs are always hard for me to write. I can always come up with sad, introspective, like depressing music <laughs> that comes to me really readily. Or even, you know, yearning, longing, honest stuff, but um, something that feels anthemic and big and like you want to turn your amp up. Maybe it's because I don't usually write music when I'm when I'm feeling happy. <laughs> so for me, that this this was like the first song that I'd ever written that felt, you know, like it captured that. Let's turn the amps up. Let's play it loud, and and it feels congruent with with the sounds and the, the lyrics. Everything fit together. You could say it's a college kid trying to define who he is and why he is. I am a big fan of Kierkegaard and. I think the existential crisis of who we are and why we are is kind of at the root of many of the other things that we're wrestling with. Soren Kierkegaard is a Danish philosopher who basically, many would call him the father of existentialism, which is a philosophical tradition. And his wrestle with, with, with philosophy took the form of why are we here, you know, and and finding it kind of an existential crisis that out of that crisis we're thrust into this new idea where we have this weight to what we do and why we do it and so i i thought i find especially during this season of my life a lot of my lyrics were driven from that kind of a place welcome to switchfoot song stories a fan run and operated podcast not affiliated with Switchfoot. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to Switchfoot Song Stories. I am your host, Tyler D. Smith, and I am so honored to be able to host this podcast each and every week and welcome in some amazing guests and have some incredible conversations about music, life, and faith, some heavier topics, some lighter topics. And of course, talking Switchfoot one song at a time. My guest this week is the lead singer of one of my favorite bands from the mid-2000s, Joel Parisian from the band New World Sun. Here's a couple clips from that incredible band. This episode is a little longer than usual, but definitely worth the time. Joel and I take a deep dive into the music industry, tour life, and we discuss Switchfoot's mega hit 
Meant to Live, as well as a little time discussing John Foreman's Fall EP. So here we go, my conversation with Joel from New World Sun. All right, Joel, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to join us, man. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You got it. Hey, my first introduction to your music was actually on tour. I was in a promotions company promoting concerts for a few years. And if I remember correctly, the tour, I think you're opening for Newsboys. I think Russia Fools was on it. Does that sound yeah, right? I know it's been a minute. Right. That would have been, if it was Russia Fools, it would have been 2008. And we yeah. were on the go tour with the Newsboys, um, which was great. I mean, what a great experience, great guys. And we got a chance to see, you know, the bulk of the country. Yeah. Which for, you know, for four guys from Canada was uh, was a great experience. Yeah, that was a great memory. So that my first introduction, then from that point on, I really uh, got into all your music. You know, I, I mean it when I say you truly have one of the best voices I've ever heard. You've written some of my favorite all time songs. So first and foremost, thank you for your art and you oh, know, sharing, so sharing your gift for all these years. Thank you. That means a lot. Thanks, man. And when I first saw you live, I was like, man, this band, they, they kind of have a throwback feel, but but modern. Like I can tell the Motown influence, but also some bands of of that time, um, like a soulful voice with gospel flair, even, you know, the occasional beatboxing and dance move, which was awesome, like a great <laughs> live show. And and uh, so many songs that make you tap your feet, clap your hands. And, and then also these beautiful piano ballads, which, you know, several hits on Christian radio through the years. So. Really great, great stuff. I understand, too, you're about to go on a solo tour in Europe. What does a solo set for you look like now? Are, there, are you doing New World Sun songs, commissionary songs, new songs? Like, what's the set going to be like? Yeah, all of the above. It's a nice. kind of a, a, a retrospective of the last kind of 15 years. of. Uh, so it'll feature a lot of New World Sun stuff. I, I, I mean, we've got a really good fan base in Europe, which was, which is great. It's a real blessing because it gives me permission to, you know, to travel <laughs> but uh so we'll do i mean not will we being me the royal we i guess uh we'll be doing new world sun stuff um and then yeah i did i did kind of uh venture into a bit of a side project a few years ago with a local singer songwriter here in canada well-known in canada named jacob moon and we created a, a duo called the commissionaires um and uh i'll do some stuff from that album and then also some songs from some of my favorite artists, because one of the challenges for me will be putting on a live show that's compelling for people who are already familiar with New World Sun. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I have to pick the right repertoire because you know, a lot of our music is really high energy and it's hard to recreate that kind of energy when it's just one guy and a piano. Yeah. Um, so I got to kind of pick and choose which songs work best for that format to be honest i'm still putting the set list together um but it's great i mean that'll be the first time i've done any touring of any substance since 2019 well so i'm really excited to just get out there and get my sea legs under me again yeah and i've been saying there. i've been saying uh commissionaries wrong so commissionaires <laughs> commissionaires yeah, yeah. Oh, well i, I kind of like the way you say it now I think about <laughs> it. <laughs> well that is cool um that, that should be a good time uh, I know you said you had a few dates with Switchfoot years ago. Do you remember anything about those dates? Any stories? Yeah, I do. Because the first time um, we shared the stage with Switchfoot would have been over 10 years ago. It was 2010, if I recall. Uh, and we were in Scotland playing a festival called Frenzy. And unfortunately, the festival's not around anymore. In, in fact, we played the final year. Mm -hmm. 
So like I had heard uh, Switchfoot's music before, but my exposure to the band was mainly the singles, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd never seen them live and I was excited to see what they were about. So we finished our set and tore down and stuck around in the venue to watch them play. And I, I was blown away, like, because the, the crowd was like, it was a decent sized crowd, but we're still talking about maybe a couple thousand people, you know, packed into, I think it was almost like a, it was almost like an airport hangar. Hmm. Um, and yet they delivered a show that would work like in an arena or a stadium. And like, like John has a real way of connecting with the crowd. Um, that comes from him as a person, right? Like, but, but it's also like it's climbing the speaker stacks and it's it's reaching out to touch people in the audience and and the band was very accessible in this venue because there wasn't like a lot of like there were like security guards and barricades and stuff like that um and that was like the first impression they made on me important it was for them to make like an actual physical connection with the audience mm -hmm. So like I really really enjoyed seeing that, and it and it made me want to watch the entire show, in spite of the fact that I didn't, like I didn't know all their material. Yeah. And so the hits came on, right? And I was like, oh, I know this song, um, and that was really cool. Like just to kind of that really pulled me in. But there was the real story that I have about opening with the opening for Switchfoot is actually the following year. So that we didn't really get a chance to hang with the band or get to know them on this on this date in two thousand and ten. But in 2011, the following year, we were playing a festival in Australia called Easterfest. Again, a festival that's no longer around, sadly. And um, Easterfest was held in a city called Toowoomba, which is about, I don't know, it's about an hour and a half west of the coast inland. And um, what had happened prior in that year is Australia had experienced some really like major flooding and actually had unfortunately taken people's lives. A few months earlier, and so um, you know, we were asking the locals, like, "Wow, man, tell me what that was about." Like, that was pretty crazy because I mean, it, it had made the news internationally. It was so severe, and wouldn't you know it? <laughs> the day that we were scheduled to play on the main stage, they were calling for really bad weather. So, of course, like the town's on edge after what they had just been through. And uh, when we got on, so it was going to be New World Sun was going to be kind of like the the second last band, and then Switchfoot to close the night and when we got on stage it did start to rain and then it was torrential like it was really really scary it was crazy how much rain came down and we had a crowd of about i don't know eight, eight to ten thousand people when we started and by the time we were done our set there might have been two thousand people left who'd stuck it out who were just completely soaking wet and they were up to their knees in mud and uh, at one point i had kind of walked out a, a, a away from the covering of the stage and kind of walked on the catwalk to just sort of say, Hey, look, we're all in this together. So I got completely soaking wet, m much to the chagrin of the text, you know, cause I'm holding a wireless mic <laughs> out in the rain. And I mean, we're talking rain, rain, like crazy. You barely see your hand in front of your face. Mm. So we got off stage and it, you know, there were some concerns cause there's always like live power cables on stage. And it's like, shoot, should we continue doing this? Like, is this, this is a risk to people's health. But, you know, we were kind of caught up in the moment and thought, well, hey, man, if this crowd is going to stick it out, then we're going to give them everything we've got. And I know the reason why this kind of like uh, skeleton crowd of people had, had hung around. They wanted to see Switchfoot after us. They thought, we're already soaking wet. We're going to stick it out. And so 
I, we got off stage, we were backstage and I was soaking wet and, and really kind of moved by the whole experience. Like it was, it was still raining. And the first person to come up to me after the set ran up to me and gave me a huge hug in spite of the fact that I was soaking wet was John Foreman. And he gave me a big hug and said, man, that was incredible. I'm so inspired by what you guys just did. And, 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 and the management behind the festival, you know, said to the band, look, you have the option of not doing this set if you want. I mean, of course, this is crazy. And the band said, no, look, at they looked out in the crowd, too, and said, there's still people here. So Switchfoot actually managed to get in about 30 minutes before finally it got to the point where it just wasn't safe anymore. Yeah. But they did actually play like a 30-minute set because I guess they just sort of felt like they wanted to, to, to honor the tenacity of the crowd, like the commitment of the crowd. So not not long after they decided to, for safety reasons, pull the plug. Um, the the main there was a main tent that covered all the the vendors, and it was like a gathering area with smaller stages. And, and the festival had wisely evacuated that tent. The main tent collapsed. It was so full of water that it it it, it just literally came crashing to the ground, and they had to evacuate the entire park that was hosting the festival and unfortunately the final day of programming for the festival had to be canceled so it was like like a really big deal and it broke my heart because the the town like just three months earlier had been through such devastation and and, and here we were again like the town flooded like when we walked back to our hotel i mean we were up to our ankles like the drainage the kind of infrastructure of the city couldn't handle how much rain there was but i'll never forget john foreman giving me this soaking wet hug <laughs> Because he was like, he was genuine, I could see you, he was like genuinely inspired that we had stuck it out. And uh, that's kind of my big switchfoot story, <laughs> you know. And we watched, like, we watched probably 15 minutes of the show side stage just to sort of see, like, are these guys crazy? Like, are they going to do this? <laughs> and that's my Easter Fest story from Australia, yeah. 2011. That's quite memorable, yeah. Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> just to, you know, all those years later to remember the details because of how, I mean, that that's just quite the story and uh, sounds just like him doesn't know a stranger and he's always uh you know doesn't know a stranger yeah yeah 100 yeah. yeah i was really yeah, really cool. touched by that because at that point by that point i was starting to become introduced to their music more especially after seeing them in 2010 i was more i was curious because the first time i heard switchfoot was probably in 2000 and certainly two i guess it was like I don't know the date, probably 2003 or four when the beautiful letdown came out. Yep. And the, the, the main single of that song, like I, I was hearing a lot, like on mainstream radio uh, here in, in Toronto, up in Canada. Yeah. Um, so, so at, at, the, at the same time that I kind of had this like just very brief, but personal experience with John, I was also listening to one of his solo EPs and, um, which I was really into. Like I, I, I really had played that EP a lot back in the day of, you know, spinning CDs, which, which feels like a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was really cool to kind of like meet him. And it's like, I wish I had had the chance to tell him how much I loved um, the, the, the EP, which was only six songs, I think, or six or seven yes. songs, but um, yeah, really cool. Great. Yeah. Guys. That fall EP, which uh, it's good timing right now. I'm, I'm looking outside right now. It's a beautiful fall day here in exactly. Indiana. And it's uh that's one I, I come back to and I think that might have been one of his goals you know it's every season have an EP that comes out that kind of makes you think about the weather and what you're going through and mm -hmm. also the perspective of faith but 
to kind of um, not shy away from the well, than the tension and the lamentations. Like my favorite song from the Fall EP, without a doubt, is "Lord Save Me from Myself." Yeah, and I just you know like I love the I love the lyrics of like when he's talking about the, the you know like the hollow modern shell mm-hmm. or or you know ripen your your daughters of chrome these kinds of things that and you know my favorite lyric is definitely the the, the world is uh where i breathe and so let me never call it home mm-hmm. whatever and 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 i really dug that because it was like at that time in my life you know um i this was before new world sun even was kind of touring internationally and kind of gained some support at, at christian radio and we'd kind of really kind of hung our hat on that hook at that point we were really kind of straddling both worlds because we as a group we were really accessible to mainstream audiences and so a lot of our early shows were playing blues festivals jazz festivals rock festivals and so i felt like i was um i had license to confront a wider range of topics and ironically when we were sort of accepted more into this the kind of um the sort of mainstream Christian music industry, I felt confined a little bit. I felt like I needed to make sure that my music uh, worked for that audience. It's that you know what I mean, and it's like, and I, I think I was incorrect about that. Like, I think I was putting undue restrictions on my lyric writing. So, so John's willingness, and 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 I and I forgive me if I'm crediting John with some of the lyrics were written by like the entire band too. I know that John's the principal writer. I mean. And I kind of come through their music through his solo stuff. So, but uh, I don't, I don't want to take credit away from the rest of the band, but Mm -hmm. the the lyrical content like had the depth that I was craving that might be kind of in more traditional gospel music too, that isn't afraid to kind of lament. And these things were a lot of uh, contemporary Christian music at the time, you know, almost doubled as worship music. And that's not a, that's not a knock. On it, but it just sort of—I found like I was hearing a lot of the same lyrical themes over and over again. Yeah, and John's willingness to kind of confront the tension of living—you know, like being in the world but not of the world—I feel like is a—and these kind of call to arms is sort of like a running theme through their music. I mean, you'd be able to speak to that, you know, with more authority than me. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It's in so many of these conversations, we have a different guest every week, and there's just a lot of that appreciation for how they've been able to do that and for so many years. And, and one reason I think they've been able to last so many years was coming off the success of this, you know, mega hit meant to live that was everywhere and, mm-hmm. and then uh, be able to use that. And then also just the um, artistry and, and uh, honesty, I guess, and what they're able to say, um, which has been awesome. And we will talk about meant to live uh, and, you know, here in, in just a minute, but I also want to ask you um, talk about how the, industry has changed over the years i agree with you from uh text message you sent me about i think fans of the show would be interested to hear that how it's changed Mm. in your opinion well there's the obvious things first of all i mean like the way that people get music has changed like drastically because of streaming platforms and social media so that's a given right i mean like in any anybody that isn't kind of uh, you know doesn't have the inside track on the music industry would be able to identify that um and, and and before that, the big change, the big shift in the music industry was iTunes, right? And and being able to download individual songs from an artist's offerings instead of before, like, you know, if you heard a song on the radio say that you really dug, I mean, you had to make the commitment of going into a store 
and buying the CD or the record or the tape or like whatever era of purchasing music you grew up in. And, um, and it required a bigger commitment, you know, like, like you had to hope that first of all, that radio would play your song in the first place or that um, the music video outlets would run your video. And then that people would get motivated enough to get in their car, go to a mall or some sort of bricks and mortar store, buy your CD and hopefully like the rest of your music. And then when iTunes came along, it sort of gave everybody a, a kind of a la carte, uh, you, you know, offering. It was like, okay, well, if you just want to download the two songs that you know, then go ahead and cough up a couple of bucks and, and there it is. So those are like the sort of two big shifts in terms of like uh, the, the getting the music to the fan base that we're all, we're all aware of, right? But in the Christian music industry, and, and see, like I say, like we made this transition when we first started New World Sun, it was 2005. And, and when we first started as a band, literally our only like uh, our only access to, to music fans was this Tuesday night gig we played. Like we literally played every week, Tuesday nights from 11 p.m. till two o'clock in the morning. Wow. That was our gig, you know, and we played the same music that any of the fans of the, of the band are familiar with. We played that material in a bar. Um, but that was kind of our only gig. And so we did that for a couple of years before things sort of took off for us and, and, and we achieved this next level of, of exposure and building our profile. So that's where we cut our teeth. And so, of course, from there, we were invited to play, like I mentioned earlier, like city festivals that were kind of latching onto us more and seeing us as more of a band that was kind of playing a mixture of R&B and soul music and blues and jazz and gospel. And so we were accessible to, to, to programmers of these festivals that were blues festivals, jazz festivals and stuff like that. And then eventually we made a transition where we were, we were fortunate enough to be discovered. Uh, and I won't go into that whole story cause it's, it's kind of tedious, but we were discovered by a label in Nashville and we were quickly kind of uh, adopted by the Christian music kind of machine. And at that time, you know, contemporary Christian music on the radio and, and, and through the, the, the labels, which are mostly based in Nashville, we're offering a very wide selection of music. Like, I mean, there were Christian hip hop groups, Christian metal bands. And we sort of, we, we were lucky that we were kind of, um, we, were, we, we managed to kind of get into the stream at the right time where labels were willing to take a risk on Christian artists, quote unquote. If, you know, meaning um, exploring a wide diversity of music offerings and, and, and pushing that to Christian radio. And so we were very fortunate that we got the support of the kind of the industry machine behind us that at that early stage in our career. And our goal was to win fans live. This is get as many opportunities as we could to get in front of people because we sort of thought, oh, well, we're never going to get played on the radio. So at least, you know, like opening for the Newsboys, which is where you had a chance to see the band for the first time, was a huge opportunity for us. And um, headlining some of the international Christian festivals was huge for us and so there was a period from about 2007 to 2009 where our band really got to take off but if you fast forward to today and listen to um christian radio the the playlists are largely dominated by um worship music mm-hmm. and now this is not a crit- criticism but what happened was there was a period of time where it, it's important i guess for your listeners to understand that Christian songs, like the publishing side of things, draws income from from 
couple of different streams. One of them being radio play. And so if you have a song that's done well at radio, it earns the songwriters uh, publishing income. Mm-hmm. But another source of income is what's called CCLI, which is sort of like a collections agency um, that churches all over the world kind of have to pay into for the right to use these songs in Sunday morning services. So songs that uh, work well in a worship uh, atmosphere, in a worship setting, uh, draw two sources of income, right? So if these songs are getting also played on the radio, and you're kind of drawing from two streams of income. Yeah. And so I think what happened at Christian Radio, and I don't know what year it was, whether there was a sort of gradual turn of the page that left some of the artists that were exploring maybe some, you know, some of the fringe uh, genres of music, it kind of left all of us out in the cold a little bit because we don't create worship music per se. And the record companies started to really pressure the record labels to play the songs that would also work on Sunday mornings. And so it's, it, I mean, it, it's just kind of a, a business decision. Again, I don't fault them for it, mm-hmm. but the, the the landscape of Christian radio has changed a lot to to service songs that work in kind of both streams, and it's maybe excluded a lot of uh, artists from getting played on the radio, which is still an important way to ex- expose people to new music. Yeah, and so for us, we were lucky that we did actually, to to our surprise, had a couple of big songs at Christian radio, um, but. But again, they were songs that were that worked for radio. I wouldn't say we deliberately tailor made them for radio, but looking back, it's like, oh, okay, at that time when they were, came out, they would have worked. And I'm not sure that we would get played on the radio today, which again would have had a cascade effect of maybe limiting our our opportunities to play live and and all of the above. So like that's a huge shift in the marketing of Christian music today. The, the Christian music scene, I've had a lot of people, a lot of conversations over the years where people say, like, oh, I don't really like Christian music. And then I, I usually tell them, like, let me show you the good stuff, <laughs> like, because mm-hmm. um, you're probably just thinking of radio singles and worship songs, which I love a lot of that stuff as well. But sure. let me show you, like, real art, because I think there are, there have been and there are still, you know, a bunch of bands that are, um, you know, just amazing writing and and, uh, you know, you may not have heard them. So let's you know, listen to those bands. So it's been pretty, pretty unique over the years to have those conversations. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, as an artist who is directly impacted by the shift, these shifts in the music industry, I, 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 I could speak only for myself, but I, I'm very pro streaming. Um, like I'm all about it. I, I think that it was an important transition to make in the way music is, is circulated. And, um, I think that there are a lot of uh, like just individual streams and listens that wouldn't have happened before. Because yeah. again, like I was describing earlier, like it was a big commitment for somebody to like put down 10 or 20 bucks on a record if they only thought they liked the one song. And uh, I also believe that we live in a time where it's, it's, you know, what a lot of people would describe is an attention economy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like I know me personally, man, I discover songs weekly like that i never would have discovered if it wasn't for following other people's playlists or people sharing you know links on social media Uh, i I mean i think the evolution of the distribution of music is good it's all good 
And, 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 and again, you know, another point that I would really want to kind of underscore is that it sounds like I might be critical of Christian music and, and, and modern worship, but I'm certainly not. Uh, I actually understand the decision to kind of maybe make the, uh, well, just to serve your audience more effectively. And I think that if, you know, where you were behind the scenes working at the, the radio stations and you know what your kind of demographic, your listener base looks like, um, I think that they're just doing a better job of servicing their listener base. Yeah. And I believe that, um, you know, vertical worship songs uh, have, they serve a really important purpose when it comes to just the edification of the church and, and, um, and, and bringing people together. So like, you know, like I'm a fan. Yeah. Um, so I think that what's happened in the streaming age is it's, it maybe has helped pick up the slack where terrestrial radio of, you know, of what terrestrial radio has put down. So it's, it's a shift in landscape. That's not any better or worse. It's just changing times. Yep. You know, for sure. Well, speaking of radio, you know, obviously this was switch was big hit meant to live. They had Mm -hmm. other hits and, and other songs that definitely contributed, but I think this one really put them on the map. Um, help them build a bigger fan base that ended up sticking around for as long as they have. Yeah. And one thing I love too is John Foreman says they are still not tired of playing it. This one, Ordinary to Move, they said they still love playing these songs every single night because they believe in them. So I was I was curious about you. Do you have some songs like that, or are there some that you got tired of singing over the years? Oh, there are some songs I got tired of singing. <laughs> I don't I don't mind admitting that. <laughs> and there are also some songs that. Um, that worked in the studio that just didn't work live. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm reluctant to kind of call out those individual songs by name <laughs> because I, w- I don't want to disappoint anybody. So I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> but um, in terms of like the radio singles for New World Sun, we had two songs that did very well at Christian Radio, um, which, which is, was a real blessing because it really helped us kind of achieve a next level in our career. And again, um, especially with our very first album we released, like there's no, there's no song on that album that would have worked for Christian radio at that time. And, and we knew that. I mean, we were, we knew that we were kind of an odd duck in, in, in this lane, you know? Um, but when we, the, the first radio single uh, for us was called There Is A Way. And that was like a lot of people's first introduction to the band. And I'm still eternally grateful for the support we got from Christian radio. Cause that might've been like 2010. Like that's, that's a long time ago that that song came out. And I never tire of playing that song. Hmm. I love playing that song. And I can't get away with doing a show, whether it's with New World Sun or solo, like we were talking about preparing my repertoire for this tour coming up. Yep. I mean, there's no way any, <laughs> there's no way I'm not playing that song. I mean, it is the only song that every promoter has insisted. It's like, you're playing that song, right? <laughs> but conversely, the follow-up single, which almost had an even bigger impact, uh, was Learning to Be the Light. And that was on our follow-up album. And that's a song that I don't mind admitting. I guess I'll, I'll let the, the cats out of the bag now. But I don't like playing that song live. And so I don't perform that song live very much. And it does disappoint some people from time to time. It's like, are you kidding me? You didn't play that other big hit you guys have? Because it was just one of these things where it, it, I never felt the connection with the audience through that song it was another one of those songs that like really came together like like it was like catching lightning in a bottle the song came to like in terms of the writing happened really fast and the and the studio recording of the song happened really fast like it just it felt really anointed 
And I know that the lyrics of that song specifically have been a bit of a rallying cry for people. So like, I'm really proud of the song. Yeah. I know that it's had power to minister to people, but it's just like, it was always one of these songs that kind of fell flat live. Like we just never found a way of recreating the song live that felt authentic. Yeah. And so from time to time we would do it, like we would do it. And, and I always felt like we were kind of pushing our way through the song. And so it's, so, so it's interesting to have like two radio songs that came out within a couple of years from each other that I feel so diametrically <laughs> to, I don't mind admitting that. And so yeah. I will do that song from time to time, but there is a way is just as remained a constant in our set for sure. Yeah. And that's fair. And obviously if you don't do a live, it's still serving its purpose. People still Absolutely. listening to it. And, uh, and definitely it's probably are still our most streamed yeah. song to this day, I'm sure. Yeah. And so the, you know, maybe that there's just a bit of that anointing on the recording. Um, and I'm like I say, like I'm grateful for the work that that song has done. It's so great when you hear from fans that like make a point of seeking you out and letting you know, hey, I just want to let you know that that song was a soundtrack mm. to a transformative season of my life. It 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 it's still like I get choked up even a little bit thinking about that. Like it's so humbling to know that somebody that you may never meet in person, um, like really wanted to make sure that you knew that your song um had meaning in their life it's, yeah. it's it's extremely humbling yeah 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 that's a great thing about art and, and when you put stuff out there that you know you just absolutely never know who's listening who who stumbles across it and you know people also they'll put like inspiring videos and they'll put music behind it and you know there's probably some of those out there that you've never even seen or heard of so that's pretty cool too mm-hmm I know you know, it's uh, funny what we were talking about. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, right. but like um, when we're kind of uh, talking about Switchfoot's bigger singles, like when I first heard um, Dare You to Move, that was being played on mainstream rock radio in, yep. in, in where I live. And I, I'm sure that was probably the case in a lot of America as well. But um, and and I'm not really like much of a rock guy in general like in terms of my like private listening time like it's not often in fact like if i listen to like kind of like the, the the local indie rock station it's only when i'm in my car really but what's so cool about that song is like so like you're talking to a guy that's not a a consistent regular listener of of, of rock radio to begin with um I, I, you know i wasn't listening to kind of christian radio at that time and yet something about that song still like kind of penetrated my sphere my like my listening bubble like because i when i first heard it i was like and i felt this way about like like uh, um like just kind of everything about the beautiful letdown too which i know is a separate album but like it was like all the things that i liked about smashing pumpkins and, and radiohead mm -hmm. and yet like when i heard dare you to move i was like I, I was i was shocked that mainstream radio was playing a song where it was like so like intelligible that he was singing salvation is here yeah. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And that really yeah. like, I was like really proud of the band. Like, I was like, who is this band? Like I made a point of finding out, like, I was like, oh, okay. They're called Switchfoot. Okay. This is really cool. And I thought that it was really cool that mainstream radio was playing a song that like kind of had a, like a very overtly and obvious kind of message of salvation. And, and especially in Canada, you know, like Canada is like a, an extremely secular nation. And so, like, for rock radio to kind of feel like that wasn't a risk, 
It yep. says a lot about the band and it says a lot about the power of, of radio. Yeah. So I was kind of ready for another big song from Switchfoot, you know, uh, because of that. Yeah. Well, that's how, and I've shared on the show before how like my introduction to Switchfoot was when one of my Christian friends was sharing his faith with somebody and I happened to be there listening and it was just a conversation, but he was like, you know, it's like that Switchfoot song. Like we're meant to live for so much more than this. And I asked him, I was like, that, is that a Christian band? And he said, yeah, I'm pretty sure they are. Went and got the album and listened to it front to back. And from that moment on, they're my favorite band of all time. And oh. But again, that's from a rock radio song that uh-huh. I had heard and liked, but had no idea really. I didn't really, like, really dive into the lyrics until my friend had said that. Um, so that's pretty cool. And again, shows the power of all that. So They've uh they've mixed up how they've played this live at times, but they're always going to keep those opening chords. I don't think they'll ever take that out. No, no, and no. Actually, I saw a funny TikTok the other day. A guy who, unfortunately, I think he was kind of making fun of Christians or the church, but then he said something about, but this Christian band who has this epic rock riff, and there might have been a few choice words in there, but then sure. he played he played meant to live on his guitar, which to me it's like, hey, this shows the the reach of the song, how it's still mm-hmm. going, like it's a a viral TikTok video of today right. of somebody playing those chords, which is wild. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and like, and just also to like the quality of conviction, you know, we heard that a lot when we were starting out as a group and we were playing for mainstream audiences is that like, and I mean a lot where people will come up to me and say, Hey, I'm not a believer, but I know you are. And I'm okay with that because I, I believe that you believe. And I, and, and the very first time I heard that kind of, you know, comment, and it was meant to be a compliment of our group, kind of made me chuckle a little bit. But then by the time I'd heard it like the fifth or sixth time, when people said, you know, there's something authentic about what you guys do. Yeah. Um, it, it, it really kind of drove the point home. Like, I, I, I think if you believe what you're singing about, it changes the molecules in the air or something, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, it's, 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 it's an invocation. Like it's a spiritual I- invitation. I mean, and I, I understand what it means to intercede. I mean, and we're not going to, we won't, we won't go get too heavy down that road. Cause that, that's a conversation that I could talk about for an hour. But I mean, when there are just certain songs, certain nights, certain performances where something extra is happening, um, where you really, one feels as if they are being used for a higher purpose. And, you know, our earthly selves can't understand why tonight over last night or over last week, like what, what is it about today or this song or this moment that has this extra covering, but you know, it's there because the hair on your arms is standing up and you feel led to take the song in fresh directions. And I mean, I, I, I know that I know that I know that some concerts some performances we we've done were really all for one person. Mm-hmm. I know that I, I just know that in my spirit. And so I think that, that like, I, I describe it as a covering. Like when you kind of walk in that level of, um, of conviction, it, it gives you a certain kind of pass in, in the, in the mainstream world. Yeah, it, it does in the secular world. Like people will sort of say, well, you know what, again, this isn't my uh, this is my spiritual perspective, but I'm down with the fact that it's yours, 
And I'm even willing to sing along with you mm-hmm. because we didn't, we didn't kind of cash our lyrics in a flowery metaphor and prose. Like our music has always been pretty unabashedly Christian sourced, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, any fans of the band or, 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 you know, hopefully there'd be, there's always new people discovering our music because of Spotify and these streaming services. It's like, that's the thing that you'll be, kind of confronted by is like there's no mistaking what the source of our lyrics is about yeah we're not you know what and and what's great about an artist like bono say from u2 is that he's he he's he kind of goes the other way he he kind of puts all sorts of his um spiritual beliefs in their music and they're arguably the biggest band in the world or one of and finds a way of uh, uh serving it to a mainstream audience that doesn't turn people off you know, like uh, he's got a way of being really authentically himself without, um, you know, paying what may sound like empty lip service yeah. to God. He's got a real, real beautiful way of writing lyrics where we're a little bit more open handed about it. Like it's like it's right there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even, you know, the when I first heard like like a lot of the songs on the beautiful letdown. We're, we're, we're still finding like mainstream listeners, right? Like there were a lot of people wearing switchfoot shirts in 2003 and four that might never go to church. But what I love about meant to live was like, like uh, this idea of uh, what's the lyric that I love the most uh, somewhere where we live inside. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like, that's addressing, like that's, that's talking about the spirit. I mean, like even for a casual, casual listener of that song, like yeah, where these are asking big questions that mainstream music, you know, shies away from that particular lane of discourse, right? So shout out to all the mainstream uh, media outlets that got behind Switchfoot. I shout them out for sure. I want to get your thoughts real quick on this John Foreman quote about the song. And just again, shows just kind of um, his deep thinking. But he said, a while back, I was reading a T.S. Eliot poem, poem called The Hollow Men. The imagery in the poem continues to haunt me. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men. I look at our planet and I see a horrible, beautiful world where love and hate breathe the same air. This is where we wake up every day. This is where we live. Maybe the kid in the song is me, hoping that I'm bent for more than arguments and failed attempts to fly. Something deep inside of me yearns for the beautiful, the true. I want more than what I've been sold. I want to live life. Wow, that's a quote. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like something that you'd sit down and write and edit. Wow. So perfectly put. I mean, that that quote encapsulates the core of all their lyrics. Yep. Right there. I mean, that kind of like quest for truth is the the, the core of their lyrical content. And you know what? In musically too. Musically too. Because when I first heard I can't remember. I don't think I was living in Canada when I first heard Meant to Live. I pretty, there was a period of time in 2003 where I was living in L.A. Um, it was before New World Sun. I'm pretty sure that I heard that song when I was there. Anyhow, um, even though like I wasn't uh, a big like a fan of the band, per se, which doesn't mean that I didn't love that first single that I'd heard, but like I wasn't following their music and staying uh, you know, kind of uh, in touch with what they were doing. I knew it was Switchwet when I heard the song. Yeah. And that's because of the music. So again, this is about these kind of intangible layers. And I I think that we're really kind of focusing on the lyrics a lot. 
Um, but that search for truth, I think, kind of carries into their musical exploration as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've never been about like escapism. Like even though they write a lot of songs about home being somewhere else, they're still writing and speaking about helping to bring love and, and a better planet here and now. So yeah, we were meant to live for so much more, but it's not just about like escaping this big bad world that you know some people try to portray, but like helping to redeem and restore it. And I've always loved that and appreciated that as well. So you know that song that I mentioned before, uh, like from his fall EP, Lord Save Me for Myself. Like mm-hmm. he has that, he has a line that says, uh, "My eyes have seen the glory of the hollow modern shell." Yeah, you know what I mean. And he's kind of being a little bit cheeky, like a little bit sarcastic, like he, he's kind of calling out the world mm-hmm. a little bit. And um, but at the same time, there's like an under an underlying. Uh, uh, call to arms or like a, like a message of hope, like, right. Like it's almost like describing an empty cup as just a vessel that's waiting to be filled up. There's nothing inherently wrong with the fact that the cup is empty. (laughs) It's like, but that's its state before it serves its purpose. It, it, it awaits, you know, being topped up. And uh, I think that's a message that a lot of people need to hear today because I think a lot of us would describe ourselves as, as empty cups, you know, and the yeah. cup could look great and the cup could serve a purpose and the cup could have a nice handle and it could have been made by a skilled artisan and it could be your favorite mug in your, in your, on your shelf. But until it actually does what it's designed to do, it's just collecting dust. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that we distract ourselves with a lot of stuff that gives us the simulation of purpose, especially in a world that's dominated by uh, social media metrics. It's like these numbers are imaginary, you mm-hmm. know, the, the the kind of fleeting validation that people get uh, when, you know, some kind of content that they've posted, you know, elicits a lot of likes. Okay, well, so what? I think a lot of people, you, you can see how, um, like how kind of uh, empty a pursuit uh, fame really is and the illusion of fame when people sort of feel like, well, I'm, I'm big on social media. And uh, like most people, most regular people, I mean, and, and and I would include myself in that number, are not really prepared for that level of exposure or mm-hmm. that like that that size of a profile. Like I think that the modern world is creating a hunger in people that doesn't get satiated um, by validation on social media, and so we've kind of, in a way, in in this season of modern men, uh, we have exacerbated like age-old problems but this idea that pascal described where he said uh was it Bla- blaise pascal the the i think that was his name the the philosopher said you know there's a god-shaped vacuum in mm-hmm. the heart of every man and woman well everything you just said i'm like was that a quote or i mean it sounds like something you did it just like <laughs> uh you're nice <laughs> thank you so much thank you <laughs> that's nice <laughs> well i appreciate you a ton for coming on and uh kind of reminiscing again one of my favorite bands for many years since i saw you live for the first time um what's next for you obviously the solo tour coming up any other plans to uh continue writing or or uh, obviously people can still go back and, and stream uh those two bands and uh continue to listen to great art so but what's next for you well thanks first of all thanks a lot for having me i've enjoyed kind of going down memory lane because i mean it, it's like I mean, we're talking about 10 12 years ago a lot of this stuff so it's really cool to talk about it so thanks again tyler but um yeah like i i would hope that people were are still discovering the music of new world sun and um you know the most recent thing that i released was this project with my friend the 
insanely talented Jacob Moon, uh, which is our side project called The Commissionaires, which at this point is already, I think, five or six years old. And uh, some really, really inspired kind of cover songs on on that project. It's called Commissionaires. It's on on Spotify and on other platforms as well if people want to check it out. And then I'm, I'm right now I'm definitely I'm in a, a real season of of writing. I'm doing tons of writing. Um, so I don't know when that stuff will come out, but I'm I'm looking forward to doing this tour because I'm going to try out some of this new material uh, in in front of fresh ears, you know, in a kind of safe space where there's no cameras and no like nobody's going to be documenting whether these songs flop or fly um and uh you know look forward to putting out that stuff potentially solo or you know potentially under the new world sun name i mean we've kind of been dormant for the last few years uh, like a lot of artists um but just kind of waiting to see what opportunities present themselves you know and, and yeah i'm really excited about that well, if you ever have some demos and you want some opinions, shoot them my way. You got my number. <laughs> <laughs> Will do, brother. <laughs> Thanks so much again. Thank have you. a great tour as well. Thanks so much.